arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officer went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis came, arose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered." So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching 
that the Christ is Jesus. Here we in the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have in our study of the book of Acts gotten a window, gotten a glimpse into life in the New Testament church. We have seen the activities of that church as we looked at some of the sermons that were preached. We have seen prayer in the New Testament church and last week looked at the possessions in the New Testament church. Tonight, we look not so much at their activities, at what they were doing, but at God's plan for His church and God's provision for His church. I've entitled tonight's sermon, God's Invincible Church. Children, invincible means powerful. In fact, there is no power that can stand against it. God's church is invincible. It may seem small at times. It may seem marginalized at times. It may seem without power at times. But God continues to grow and to build His invincible church through the preaching of the gospel. That is the power of God for salvation. And we see that preaching being challenged once again tonight. This, this, this act of God that he is continuing to build his church would certainly be, have been an encouragement for them. It's an encouragement for us as well. God continues today to build his church by the preaching of the gospel. And that gospel ministry must continue to go on. God is caring, God is preserving His church that we might tell the truth to a hurting world around us. We read in verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. They were all together at Solomon's portico. And none of them, uh, the rest, dared join, but they held people in high esteem. Even though they wouldn't necessarily join the church, they esteemed the church. And verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The church continued to grow. God was working His purposes out. And of course, as that church grew, that was not received well by the church leaders of the day. We read in verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. As they saw the growth and the power of the Word of God and the signs and wonders, and the people following after them, they were jealous at what was going on. And they put the apostles in prison. This is the second time the apostles have been arrested. Perhaps you recall back in Acts chapter 4, this was after the healing of the lame man. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. 
but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. When Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They could not help but preach and teach the truth that they knew. They would be released by that counsel, released by their rule, but now brought in once again, arrested once again. They would be released this time by an even more miraculous means. I think if I had been one of those early apostles and been brought in and questioned before the council the first time and we were released, I would say, wonderful, we, we got out of it. And now, now it happens again. Will God still take care of us? Will God still provide for us? We got away with it once. What will happen now? And we see God even more powerfully releasing them in a miraculous way. Verse 19, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Luke here gives us virtually no details. We don't know how it happened. We simply know that it happened. An angel came, miraculous. A reminder that God is not limited by the judgments of the man. Earlier, when they were released, the, the men judged to let them go. God is not li limited by that. But God sends an angel that they might continue to go out and preach and teach, that the word of God might go forth. And again, that's their commission that's given, verse 20. The angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Again, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. But they're told to go and stand in the temple. I think I would have said, that's the last place we should go. That's what got us sent here. We were teaching in the temple. And speak the words of this life. Are you serious? Continue to speak this word, this word which is now twice called us before the council? It's evidence of the power and the importance of the preaching and teaching of the word of God. That is God's appointed means to continue to grow his church. And so the apostles commissioned, encouraged, read in verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They would not wait, they would not delay, but when called to preach and teach in the temple by the words of the angel sent by God, they were strengthened to continue to declare the truth. Interesting what happens with the authorities. We read in the second half of verse 21, And when the high priest came, and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought in. Obviously, they didn't know what happened yet. 
Verse 22, And when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard, they heard these words. They were greatly perplexed and wondered what was to come of this. They are amazed. These men, whom they had put in prison, whom they had locked behind bars, when they go to get them, they are not there. And the council is shocked. They're amazed. And then we go on, verse 24, 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple teaching the people. That must have amazed them even more. We just took them from the temple. They were just arrested for that. And now they are back once again in the temple teaching and preaching the Word of God because the Word of God is that power upon which the church is built. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And he declares the truth of himself through the ministry of the Word. It had to go on. Prison couldn't stop it. Warnings couldn't stop it. Fear couldn't stop it. Nothing stops the power of God's invincible church. A church which he continues to build through the ministry of the Word. As long as the Word goes forward, God's church continues by His grace and by His mercy. Well, verse 28, 26. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We told you not to do it. And yet you did exactly what we told you not to do. You continued to preach and to teach in his name. And their answer to the authorities, their answer when they are called to account for the preaching of the word, we read in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Last time when they were called to account, they answered also, you must judge for yourself whether we should obey you or God. Now they are explicit. When they were forbidden to speak the word of God, that power of God for the salvation of all who believe, when they're forbidden to speak the word, they say, we must obey God rather than men. And then Peter, Peter never missing an opportunity to declare the gospel goes on. He says this, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He reminds them of Jesus Christ who was raised. You killed him. You sent him to the cross. 
But he did not remain dead. He was raised from the dead, the one you killed. And he is now exalted by God himself. He is exalted that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Again, Peter, never missing an opportunity to declare the truth of the gospel reminds them that even though they had condemned Jesus to death, yet he was now exalted. And if they would but put their trust in him, he is exalted for the forgiveness of sins, for repentance of Israel. The glorious call of the gospel. No matter what we have done, no matter what sin we have committed, those who were responsible for crucifying Christ, if they would but turn from their sin in repentance and believe in Jesus Christ, they too would be saved. That's the glory of the gospel. A gospel that is powerful. A gospel that pierces heart and soul. A gospel that brings us to our knees saying, God, how good you are. That in spite of all of my sin, for the sake of Jesus Christ, you would forgive me. It is that same glorious gospel that is declared once again from this pulpit tonight. No matter what you have done, no matter what life you have lived, if you would but bow the knee to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, you can know the assurance of sins forgiven by His blood. That glorious word, that powerful word, continues and must continue to go forth. Peter says, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We are witnesses, and so we have to speak. This little section by Peter begins with obedience. We must obey God rather than men, and ends with obedience. A God who's given the Spirit to those who obey him called to speak in spite of the fear, in spite of the warnings, in spite of imprisonment. They were called to obey. Speaking the word of God is not an option for the believer. We are called to that obedience, to declare God's truth to those with whom we come in contact. There's a wonderful thing about series preaching, and that is it sometimes forces us to deal with texts we would perhaps rather ignore. There's a terrible thing about series preaching, and that is it sometimes forces us to deal with texts we would rather ignore. But I would be negligent in my duties to you, and in my duties to God, if we did not clearly look at Peter's answer. Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. It is a text which I have heard used and which I have heard quoted 
much in the last several months. And yet God's Word must be handled so carefully. And we must not make it say what it does not say. The phrase, we must obey God rather than men, cannot be used if we are in disagreement with those in authority over us. If a, if a, if a, a parent says to a child, uh, my child, I want you to go clean your room, and the child says, I don't think God wants me to do that, and I must obey God rather than men. We'd say that, that, that's a misuse of these text, of this text. We recognize we live in a very anti-authoritarian context. Authority in the home is being undermined. Authority in the church is being undermined. Authority in the state is being undermined. How is it we are to properly apply this text? We must obey God rather than men. And children, I would say there is a, a very, very simple test that we have to take. When is it that we are to obey God rather than men? Not if we don't like the rules being made, being made not if we are inconvenienced by the rules being made. We must obey God rather than men. When we are, by the authority, commanded to do something that God forbids. If there is something clearly forbidden in Scripture, and the authority, whether that is our parents, whether that is the church, whether that is the state, commands us to do that which God has forbidden, then we say we must obey God rather than men. The other case, the first case, when we are commanded to do what God forbids. The second case, when we are forbidden to do what God commands. When we are forbidden to do what God commands, we must say we will obey God rather than men. And I have heard this text applied to some of the current regulations we are under. And I would like to say with humility, but forthrightly, the church has not been told that it must cease speaking. We have not been told to be silent with regard to the gospel. The mere fact that you are hearing this sermon tonight is evidence of that. The gospel has not been silenced in the church but it continues to go out, for in our particular case, via the internet. And the Word of God continues to do its work. The preaching of the gospel continues to be God's appointed tool for the growth of His invincible church. We have not been told 
we may not preach and teach. We have not been told we may not worship. We have been told we may not gather inside, but we are free to worship outdoors. We may have, as some of you know, our sister church, Ontario, has a drive-in service. Inconvenient, to be sure, but able to be held. Our own worship committee is thinking about creative ways we might worship as a body, a whole body, but outside the building. We have not been told not to worship. If, if, if the state does exceed its mandate and begin to tamper with the fundamentals of Christian worship, not simply the circumstance, then we say we must obey God rather than men. And we saw that just a few weeks ago. The, the state encouraged us to cease singing God's praises. Singing is a fundamental element of Christian worship. And when the state overstepped its bounds and dealt with a fundamental element of worship, you should not sing. Then we said respectfully, we must obey God rather than men. When the church forbids what God commands. We must be very, very careful not to take the Word of God out of its context, but also not to shy back if challenge to that Word does come. I can assure you that if our church was told, you must cease the preaching and teaching of the gospel. The consistory to a man would say without hesitation, we must obey God rather than men. Because the word of God and the preaching of that word is primary. In, in, in instructing the church of how they are to praise their God for the salvation which he has given. When Peter and the apostles were challenged not to speak the word at all, they said, without hesitation, we must obey God rather than man. That, that response, of course, was not welcome by the leaders Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. They put them out of the council, and Gamaliel gets up to speak. Gamaliel is a part of the council. He is the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, a well-respected rabbi. Gamaliel is the teacher 
of the Apostle Paul. And when he gets up, people listen. I often uh, think of this text, and I, I think of uh, back when I was a new minister and would go to classes. We'd go to classes meetings, and we would discuss various proposals before us. And some of us, you know, young guys who thought we know a lot, we'd get up and speak, and we'd say our opinion, and one would say this, one would say that. And then there would come a point in the discussion where an older, wiser, more seasoned minister would stand up and would very humbly speak a word of truth to the situation, a well-thought-out response. And while I know he would not want me to say this, that voice in our classes was Reverend Ron Squeers, a man who spoke with dignity and clarity. That's what's going on here. Gamaliel gets up to speak. And what does he say? Verse 36. For before these days, Thudius stood, rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. He's going to give two examples from their own history. First, this man Thudius, who rose up as a leader at some point, gathered about 400 people, but when he died, his movement came to an end. Second example, verse 37, after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Gamaliel reminds them that the death of a leader is often the death of a movement. It happened twice before for them. The death of the leader was a death of the movement. That was not the case with Jesus Christ. In fact, it was because of the death of the leader and because he was brought back to life that the movement continued. Look at verse 38. So in the present case, those were the other cases. The men died and the movement died. In this case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. Now, when we read this, uh, this sentence, if it's of man, you should, uh, you can't overthrow, uh, sorry, let me write what I was doing again. If it is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow it. We read that as a very parallel, two options. But Luke here records for us, in particular words, that which gives us the actual sense of what Gamaliel was saying. There were a couple different ways of describing the possibility of something taking place, and those were written in different ways in the original languages. If I can somewhat paraphrase, Gamaliel is saying this, if this plan 
or this undertaking is of man, and I don't really think it is, it will fail. But if it is of God, and I believe that it is, you will not be able to overthrow it. Gamaliel exonerates the apostles and the preaching of the gospel. In fact, he says, if you oppose this, this which is of God, you're opposing God himself. To say don't speak and teach the word, you are opposing the plan of God who would grow his invincible church by the power of the preaching of the word. Gamaliel exonerates the apostles. And it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful if the story ended at that point. It does not. We go on in verse 39. They took his advice, and when they called on the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were once again warned. They were beaten. And their response to the beating is not to complain. Look, God, we were trying to be faithful, and now this happens? Their response to the beating was to rejoice. They were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. I have to confess, I'm often not willing to be inconvenienced for the name of Christ. To suffer for Christ's name? I'm not sure if I'm able. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They submitted as much as they could when they were asked to come in, they weren't taken by force, they went along willingly. If they could submit, they would, but when it came to the preaching of the Word of God, they simply could not. And if that caused suffering for them, they rejoiced. And what happened, verse 42? And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They continued to use God's appointed means for the building up of his church, a church which continues even today. Governments come, governments go, but the church of God stands forever. It is an invincible church, for it is built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, upon the preaching of the apostolic truth of Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again and right now is exalted in heaven, ruling and reigning over all creation. To him is our allegiance. To him is our obedience. God continues to exercise his rule in the various parts of our life. When we are commanded to do what is forbidden or forbidden to do as commanded, we have to say we will obey our God rather than men, that God might continue to grow his church by the power of the gospel, and that we might have the conviction to obey our responsibility to teach 
others the truth that we know. And, and, and not let my own weakness, my own frailty, my own laziness keep me from sharing the truth I know I need to share with my family, with my coworker, with my neighbor. I need to obey God rather than my own sinful desires. That his word might continue to go forth. That his church might increase. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we praise you for the beauty of your word, a word which records for us your church in the New Testament time and how you would grow that church through the preaching of the gospel. May we, O oh God, never be ashamed of that means of growth. May we never fail to to attend the preaching of the gospel and to advance the preaching of the gospel. And if there should come a time where we are faced with, with those terrible, difficult choices, we pray that you would steal our souls. We may stand up and say, we shall obey God, you, rather than men around us who would forbid us to do what you command. Lord God, thank you for your holy word. Use this word to continue to advance your church, a church which continues to grow and expand even today, your invincible church. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 398 in the Psalter hymnal. Number 398, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water in the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, Yes, the saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. We're going to sing all four verses, 398. <laughs>
receive the parting blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.